I welcome everyone to today's hearing examining the need to expand eligibility under the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. Before we begin, I'd like to remind members that we have established an email address and distribution list dedicated to circulating exhibits, motions, or other written materials that members may want to submit during this hearing. Uh, if you'd like to submit materials, please send them to Judiciary Docs, that's Judiciary D-O-C-S, uh, at mail.house.gov. We'll distribute them to the members and staff as quickly as we can. I'll now recognize myself for an opening statement. The purpose of today's hearing is to examine whether Congress should reauthorize and expand compensation eligibility under the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, also known as RECA, an acronym. Enacted in 1990, RECA established a program administered by the Department of Justice to pay compensation to certain individuals who were harmed by the U.S. government's atmospheric testing of atomic weapons. RECA also provided, provides for payment to certain uranium mine workers who were harmed as they labored to produce the necessary raw materials for U.S. atomic weapons development. Starting in the 1940s with the development of the atom bomb during World War II and spurred on by the ensuing Cold War with the former Soviet Union, the U.S. government embarked on a decades-long program of nuclear weapons development. This development program included over 1,000 atomic weapons tests, including above-ground atmospheric testing. In the continental United States, this atmospheric testing occurred primarily, but not exclusively, at the Nevada test site, where the federal government conducted 100 atmospheric tests during the 1950s and early 60s. During the same period, the United States also conducted hundreds of underwater and atmospheric atomic tests in various areas of the Pacific Ocean. Coinciding with this period was an increase in uranium mining. Thousands of U.S. uranium workers labored to produce the raw materials necessary to fuel the U.S. atomic weapons development. During this period, the U.S. government was the sole purchaser of uranium ore. In fact, private ownership of uranium ore was illegal until 1964 when the federal government permitted it for the purpose of fueling nuclear power plants. Many uranium mines were located on tribal lands, and many uranium mine workers were drawn from the surrounding Native American communities. Although the U.S. government and private mining companies it contracted with knew of the dangers of that are inherent in uranium mining, they did little to warn these Native American uranium workers of, or their communities about the dangers inherent in uranium mining. Many Native American communities and tribal lands still bear the scars of that injustice. While the U.S. government stopped purchasing uranium for atomic weapons in 1971, the labor conditions in the uranium mining industry at Foster did not suddenly improve after the federal government officially pulled up states. Despite efforts to improve uranium worker safety through increased federal regulation, uranium mine workers continued to face elevated risk from radon exposure after 1971. The federal government in many ways failed to adequately protect or warn people about the potential hazards associated associated with its atomic weapons development. Regarding atmospheric testing, the government failed to warn communities downwind from the test sites, both in the continental United States and in the Pacific, including U.S. territories such as Guam, of the dangers from radiation. Similarly, with respect to uranium mining, the federal government failed to warn or adequately protect uranium workers and their communities regarding the dangers posed by radon and radioactive particles. Indeed, the government, in many cases, failed to warn or adequately protect its own personnel present at atmospheric testing sites, or those who years later were sent by the government to clean up those radioactive testing sites. Underlying this history is the fact that the U.S. government was not only in the best position to potentially mitigate the harm its atomic weapons developed caused, it had a responsibility to do so.
Congress passed RECA over 30 years ago to acknowledge that that fact, as well as the fact that while the whole country may have benefited from the purported security resulting from the development of atomic weapons, certain individuals and communities disproportionately bore most of the harms and risks that came with it. Yet many individuals affected by the U.S. government's harms that I described remain ineligible under the RECA program. Many of these individuals are arguably similarly situated to others currently eligible under RECA, yet they've been denied the chance for compensation. And despite the continuing negative impacts of the government's atomic weapons development. As we consider the question of whether Congress should revise eligibility requirements under RECA, I would encourage the subcommittee to carefully consider the testimony we gathered today. As it is an issue that has deeply affected the lives of many, including some of our witnesses, they'll be joining us. I'd like to thank our colleagues on our, one of our colleagues on the Judiciary Committee, Representative Greg Stanton, and our former House colleague, now Senator Ben Ray Lujan, for their leadership on this important issue. I'd also like to acknowledge the leadership of Senator Mike Crapo, who chaired a similar hearing in 2018 before the Senate Judiciary Committee, for his leadership on this issue as well. I thank all of our witnesses for being here and look forward to their testimony. And at this point, it's my pleasure to recognize the ranking member of the subcommittee, the gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Johnson, for his opening statement. Uh, appreciate that, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for the time and the hearing. This is a bipartisan concern, and so we treat it as such. Let restate some of the important facts here at the outset. Um, for those who uh, may not be familiar with the whole history of this, as you have indicated, near the end of World War II, the U.S. Uh, detonated the first atomic weapon at the Trinity test site near Alamogordo, New Mexico. Between this first test in 1945 and 1963, the U.S. conducted nearly 200 atmospheric or above-ground automatic weapons tests. A majority of these tests took place at the Nevada test site, a government facility located in Nye County down there. Additional atmospheric tests took place at locations in the Pacific Ocean and the South Atlantic uh, Ocean. From 1942 through 1971, the U.S. also purchased uranium ore and operated mines to extract uranium from locations in the American Southwest and West. This mine uranium was the primary fuel for atomic weapons during that period. These activities have led to incidences of cancer and other radiation-related illnesses among people who participated in the test, who lived in close proximity to the test, or who mined, milled, or transported the uranium used in the manufacture of the automatic weapons, atomic weapons. In 1990, Congress passed, as you said, the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA as we call it, to provide partial restitution to those individuals who were affected. Administered by the Department of Justice, RECA has paid more than $2.45 billion in compensation to nearly 38,000 claimants over the past three decades. With RECA scheduled to sunset little more than a year from now, and with the number of pending claims dwindling, some here in Congress have proposed extending and expanding RECA. As we consider these proposals, I think we should keep in mind how and why RECA was structured by Congress. It was designed to provide partial compensation to those people whose health was adversely affected by their participation in or their close proximity to the development and testing of these automatic weapons. These are individuals whose health ailments can be reasonably determined to come from the U.S. government's activities. This intent is reflected in the one-time nature of the payments available under RECA and the specific eligibility requirements for compensation. In order to be eligible or for compensation under RECA, a claimant must meet specific geographic, temporal, and disease requirements. As our understanding of the health effects from nuclear testing has improved, of course, Congress has returned to amend RECA. For instance, Congress enacted the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act amendments in the year 2000 
to expand the list of qualifying diseases, add additional geographic areas, tweak filing requirements, add additional qualifying occupations in the uranium mining sector, and extend the deadline for filing a claim. Since the last time that Congress meaningfully uh, amended RECA, commissioned a study on whether to expand the so-called downwinder eligibility area. Downwinders are people who live in areas affected by fallout from atmospheric weapons tests. This report examined a wide range of items previously identified by Congress and, and made recommendations such as the application of a probability-based model for eligibility under RECA. As we consider proposals to expand and, and extend RECA, we should examine the conclusions of that report as well as expert testimony so as to accurately evaluate what steps should be considered by this Congress. I thank our witnesses for appearing today and we look forward to your testimony. Mr. Chairman, before I yield back, I have statements from Senator Crapo of Idaho and one of his constituents, Ms. Tanya uh, Henderson, who heads the Idaho Downwinders Association. I ask uh, consent that these statements be included in the record. Without objection, so done. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Mr. Nadler's not here, so he won't be giving an opening statement. I think Mr. Jordan is here. Would he like to give an opening statement? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm fine right now. Look forward to hearing from our witnesses. Thank you, Mr. Jordan. Our witnesses are, are present. We welcome our witnesses and thank them for participating in today's hearing. I'll now introduce each of the witnesses, and after each introduction, we'll recognize that witness for his or her oral testimony. Your written statement will be entered into the record in its entirety and ask you to summarize your statement in five minutes. In the absence of a timing light as we have in the committee room, I will note orally when five minutes have elapsed and bang my gavel. There will be a timer on your screen, so please be mindful of it. Before proceeding with testimony, I'd like to remind everybody that you have a legal obligation to provide truthful testimony and answers to the subcommittee and any false statement you make today may subject you to prosecution under Section 1001 of Title 18 of the United States Code. Today, we have two witness panels. On our first panel are two of our colleagues. Per our usual custom, we will not be asking them any questions. Our first witness is Senator Ben Ray Lujan. Senator Lujan represents the state of New Mexico in the United States Senate, having first been elected to that office in 2020. Previously, for 12 years, he represented New Mexico's third congressional district, U.S. House of Representatives, and served as assistant speaker during his tenure in the House. Senator when he was representative, Lujan had a great interest in this issue, and unfortunately, the committee, which did a lot with uh, uh, other matters, did not get a chance to have a hearing. But he was certainly supportive and wanted to have this hearing, and I'm pleased that he's here today. Senator Lujan, you're now recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Chairman. And uh, before I begin, Mr. Chairman, I ask unanimous consent to enter into the record a statement from Senator Orrin Hatch, uh, a sponsor of the original Radiation Exposure Compensation Act amendments. Without objection, that shall be done. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. To you and to all the members, the ranking members, thank you for holding this hearing. And I wanna also recognize uh, Chairman Nadler uh, for the work they're doing and Mr. Johnson, who are not able to be with us today for holding today's hearing to discuss the need to expand eligibility under the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. I also wanna thank Chairman Nadler for joining me to meet with downwinders and uranium miners last summer. Um, they appreciated your commitment and the conversation. So, Mr. Chairman, while there's been a bit of history shared, I want to make sure that I'm emphasizing some of it. 75 years ago, rural New Mexico became ground zero for the detonation of the first nuclear bomb at the Trinity test site. Henry, who was 11 years old at the time, he was living in Tolerosa, New Mexico with his family. And that morning, he said he heard a large blast and saw a great flash of light. 
He said, I got so scared. He wrote that he thought the world was coming to an end. Francisco, another witness of the Trinity test, said there was a large cloud in the shape of a mushroom. We realized later that the backs of cattle had turned white as though they had suddenly aged. The test was a total surprise to us. We were not even informed that the detonation was going to take place even after the test. No one communicated with us in regards to this major occurrence. That atomic bomb Gloria wrote to me has caused anguish to so many people in New Mexico. The people from New Mexico have suffered physically, mentally, and financially. And we are all here in hope that you'll find a way to help us. While the Trinity test ushered in the start of the atomic age, it also marked the beginning of sickness and suffering for generations of people who lived and grew up in the Tolerosa Basin or worked or lived in uranium mines and worked in those areas. For example, you can still find a high level of contaminants, contaminants at, downstream from the Jack Pile uranium mine in Laguna Pueblo, New Mexico. This was the world's largest open uranium pit. As President Jonathan Nez and the Navajo Nation will share uh, with his testimony, the Navajo people continue to suffer from the legacy of uranium mining, 525 abandoned mines, and the largest hazardous waste spill that occurred at the Church Rock site in 1979. Thousands of New Mexicans who worked in uranium mines face unsafe and dangerous conditions. So, Mr. Chairman, one of the questions I ask is, the first bomb that was detonated on American soil in New Mexico, the largest open uranium pit, one of the largest tragedies that occurred with uranium um, tailings, are these communities not included in downwind designation? I invite you to listen to the story of Ciprano Lucero, a uranium miner from Grants who recently passed away. He wrote, my respiratory protection consisted of a single paper mask per shift, and the mask was useless after the first hour or so because it was covered in yellow cake. Most of the rest of the shift, I used a bandana to cover my face, but that stopped little of the yellow cake dust from being inhaled. There was no real protection from overexposure to radiation in the yellow cake area. To help those Americans who sacrificed so much for our national security, Congress passed the RECA in 1990 and later broadened the scope in 2000. Unfortunately, RECA currently leaves behind too many New Mexicans and people all across America. This includes downwind communities from the very first nuclear test in New Mexico. It's just not right. And this is just one state. From 1945 to 62, the United States conducted nearly 200 atmospheric nuclear tests while building the arsenal that became the cornerstone of our nation's Cold War. Downwinders in Idaho, Colorado, Montana, Nevada, Utah, and Guam still await justice. The mining and processing of uranium ore, which was essential to the development of weapons, was conducted by tens of thousands of workers from across the country. Far too many of these workers are now sick and dying and were not included in the original designation of RECA. It's why we all have to come together. These people deserve justice. That's why I've been proud to work on this issue in the House, and I'm now proud to work with Senator Crapo in the Senate. It's a matter of fairness. When this legislation is reintroduced in the House, I urge the committee to act on it. Mr. Chairman, I'll leave you with this. I had one elder Navajo woman who made the journey to Washington, D.C. to testify. And she asked Congress one simple question. Are you people waiting for us all to die so the problem goes away? Remember those words from Gloria. We hope that you will find a way to help us. Mr. Chairman, we came together in a bipartisan fashion and we passed the Zadroga Act. 
It was the right thing to do for fellow Americans. We came together and we passed legislation to protect people from exposure that serve our country, veterans, soldiers from the burn pit exposure. It was the right thing to do for fellow Americans. We can work on this issue with RICA. Let's work together to make sure we're not leaving our fellow Americans behind one more day. I thank the committee for their work. I look forward to working with you and I pray that we can get this done. With that, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Senator, let me thank you for your passion and your explanation. Um, we had a busy agenda last year and I had only a cursory perspective of this issue and thought of it as a local issue. It's not a local issue, it's a national shame. And I hope you will forgive me for not finding space to schedule this hearing when you importuned me to do so. Mr. Chairman, you always uh, fight for people and you make a difference in their lives. That's very gracious of you, it's not necessary. We're here today and I know that we can find bipartisan path forward to get this done. I appreciate your words there, sir. Thank you, sir, appreciate it. Our next witness is Representative Greg Stanton. Congressman Stanton represents the 9th Congressional District of Arizona, having been elected to a second term in 2020. Previously, he served as mayor of Phoenix, Arizona for six years and as a member of the Phoenix City Council for nine years. Congressman Stanton, you're recognized for five minutes. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman, Chairman Cohen, Ranking Member Johnson, and distinguished members of this subcommittee. I want to say thank you for the opportunity to speak about an important issue that impacts the lives of tens of thousands of people in my home state of Arizona. For far too long, residents across northwestern Arizona have been forgotten and victimized by the federal government. In fact, today's hearing is the first time in more than two decades that many Arizonans, known as downwinders, have even had the opportunity to be heard in the House of Representatives. I'm hopeful that because of your leadership, your support, today's hearing will be a much needed turning point in the decades long pursuit of justice for downwinders who have suffered for the sake of our national security. Let me provide a little background. From 1945 to 1992, as part of our nation's Cold War deterrence efforts, the federal government conducted more than 1,000 atomic weapons development tests. Nearly all of them were de detonated at the former Atomic Energy Commission Nevada test site, which is about 160 miles northwest of Kingman, Arizona. Of the tests done at the Nevada site, 100 were atmospheric tests, which means they were detonated above ground and created far-reaching nuclear fallout. The largest atmospheric test yielded an energy force equivalent to 74,000 metric tons of TNT. To put that in perspective, that is five times greater than the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. Visually, those tests were about 150 times greater than the port explosion we all saw in Beirut, Beirut last year. The sheer sight of these tests were a marvel. And there's a reason I want you to think about the visual here. As you will hear from one of the witnesses today, families in Arizona would gather together and they would have bomb parties where they would stand out in their front porches with neighbors or ride on horseback out in their fields to watch the massive orange, orange mushroom clouds in the distance. They had no idea, they were never told that they were being exposed to dangerous cancer-causing radiation. As a direct result, of the radiation exposure from these tests, thousands of Arizonans have suffered from cancer, entire families have suffered from cancer, and far too many have died. In an attempt to compensate some families who were hurt, Congress did create a program 
through the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act to provide partial restitution. But affected residents living in two of the closest counties east of the test site, Mojave County, Arizona, and Clark County, Nevada, were not included in the original designated affected area to receive compensation. For these families, it is a cruel injustice that ignores the reality that they have lived for decades. National Cancer Institute research shows that Lower Mojave County and Lower Clark County have even higher rates of radiation exposure compared to other parts of the country that are already covered by RECA. And the Arizona Department of Health Services reports that Mojave County has one of the highest average cancer rates in our state from 1990 to 2001. As a member of this committee, I have worked tirelessly to right this historic wrong and to advocate on behalf of these Arizonans. And my office has heard an outpouring of stories from families and loved ones that highlight the impact nuclear testing has had on their lives. Matt Capalbi, a third-generation Mojave County resident, told me his father was a county doctor for nearly 40 years. Growing up there, everyone thought it was normal for adults to be diagnosed with cancer in their 30s and 40s. Danielle Stevens, a lifelong Mojave County resident, shared that 32 members of her extended family have been diagnosed with cancer, and nearly 20 of them have died of cancer before reaching the age of 55. These are stories of family after family in Mojave County, Arizona. Time is running out for these Americans, and it's long past time that the federal government take responsibility for its actions. It's time for Congress to take a hard look at the boundaries created under RECA so that those living in Mojave County and Clark County can finally receive the justice that they deserve. This is an important issue for Arizona. And so, Mr. Chairman, I also like to ask unanimous consent to submit for the record a statement from Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona in support of these efforts to expand the RECA program. Today, both sides of the aisle have a shared responsibility to get this right and make no mistake, this is a bipartisan issue. I know there are members of the minority party in this Congress who care about this issue just as much as I do. So thank you again, Chairman Cohen, Ranking Member Johnson, for holding this important hearing and allowing me the opportunity to share these stories with the subcommittee. I yield back. Thank you, Congressman Stanton. I appreciate your bringing this issue to us again uh, this year. And I appreciate Mr. Kelly. Do you, do you have a statement from him to be entered into the record, Senator Kelly? Yes, I do, Chairman Cohen. With, without objection, it should be entered into the record. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman Stanton. I want to thank the witnesses on our first panel, our colleagues, and I now turn to the second panel. Our first witness on the second panel is Jonathan Nez. Mr. Nez is president of the Navajo Nation. He was elected to that position in 2018 and had previously served as vice president of the Navajo Nation. President Nez received his master's of public administration and bachelor's degree from Northern Arizona University. President Nez, you're now recognized for five minutes. Yeah. Uh, Chairman Cohen, Ranking Member Ross, and Subcommittee members, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh, testify before the Subcommittee on the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, passed by Congress in 1990 and amended in 2000. My name is Jonathan Nez. I am the President of the Navajo Nation. I'm here today to represent Navajo downwinders uranium workers, and many other Navajo families and descendants who deserve fair and just compensation and health care for the risk they took and the sacrifices they made for this country. 
My testimony will focus on the Navajo Nation's experience with federal uranium extraction initiatives that were mentioned uh, earlier by our congressional representatives and our senator, and the need uh, to expand eligibility under RECA and extend the life of the Radiation Exposure Compensation Program. I want to preface my testimony by first uh, sharing who and where the Navajo Nation is located. The Navajo Nation is the largest land-based uh, American Indian tribe in the country, encompassing over 27,000 square miles that spans Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah with nearly 350,000 citizens, half of whom reside on the Navajo Nation. With such a broad land base and areas that lie within uh, multi-jurisdictional boundaries, the Navajo Nation uh, encounters some of the most challenging obstacles when it comes to providing for and meeting the needs of its community. And that was highlighted uh, throughout this pandemic. The Navajo Nation has a deep, complicated uranium legacy. From 1944 to 1986, approximately 30 million tons of uranium ore was extracted from Navajo lands to support America's nuclear activities, such as the U.S. military's Manhattan Project, World War II, and the Cold War. At that time, the United States Atomic Energy Commission was a sole per purchaser of all uranium ore mined in the United States until 1970. Then in 1979, an earthen dam was breached in Church Rock, New Mexico, resulting in the largest release of radioactive material in U.S. history. This uh, uranium mill spill released more than 1,100 tons of solid radioactive mill waste and 93 million gallons of acidic radio radioactive tailings into, uh, into the Porco River, sending radioactive waste into several Navajo communities, threatening thousands of local residents. It's been 77 years since the United States opened up uranium mining on the Navajo Nation and 42 years since the catastrophic Church Rock spill. During this time, a uranium mining boom transpired from these activities, which led to the creation of hundreds of mines on and around the Navajo Nation. This meant that many of our Navajo people worked in these mines without proper safety measures and without knowledge of the long-term effects that it would have on them and their loved ones. Once the Cold War ended and the federal government no longer needed uranium ore to produce nuclear weapons, all of these mines were abandoned without any reclamation, let alone remediation. There are approximately 524 abandoned uranium mine sites on the Navajo Nation, while the Navajo Nation estimates there could be far, far more. Unfortunately, only 219 of these sites have available funds for cleanup and remediation efforts, leaving a total of 305 sites not being addressed. And that poses severe environmental and health hazards to surrounding areas and people. Although there is approximately $1.7 billion to clean up the, two, the 219 mine site, it is not enough. The Navajo Nation estimates that it will cost an additional $3.5 billion to address the remaining 305 sites, which does not include the cost of long-term monitoring and maintenance. Last week, I had an opportunity to meet virtually with uh, advocates, uh, several surviving uranium miners. Uh, as you know, Navajo Nation has been hit hard with COVID-19. 
And we have lost some of those post-71 mine workers throughout this pandemic. Over 1,200 of our Navajo people have lost their lives here on the Navajo Nation due to this pandemic. Uh, we met uh, with Navajo government officials, including Mr. Dwayne Johnson, who oversees the Navajo Uni Uranium Workers Program. There, I heard an outcry of the need to expand RECA. To summarize five key points on proposed changes to RECA, uh, number one, eligibility. Current RECA law only covers pre-1971 uranium workers. Post-1971 are ineligible. The RECA coverage period should be extended to 1990 to provide fair compensation and health care for the risks and sacrifices these workers and their families made for this country. Two, downwinders are ineligible. Coverage under RECA also needs to be expanded to include all downwinders who have suffered from uranium exposure. The Navajo Nation also supports Navajo downwinders suffering the impacts from abandoned uh, uranium mines. RECA does not address the impacts of now elevated levels of radiation in Navajo homes and drinking water sources. Three, extended RECA's extended uh, RECA's 2022 deadline. The program is currently set to end in 2022, as was mentioned, and this deadline must be expend, extended to provide adequate time for claims to be filed. In addition, a deadline extension is essential for the Navajo Nation because of the unique difficulties experienced by Native individuals in satisfying the documentation requirements of the program. For example, lack of broadband to file claims, verifying employees for companies no longer in operation, and proof of residency since we don't have rural addressing. Four, expand eligibility to include additional categories of workers and uh, cancers. RECA coverage also should be expanded to include additional categories of uranium mine workers, such as core drillers and Department of Energy remediation workers. Currently, only underground and surface workers are included. RECA should also cover additional types of cancers, particularly prostate and uterine cancer, as well as lung, lung disease and kidney failure, all of which are a high incidence in the Navajo population. Five, increased compensation cap to a 200,000 minimum. The original cap of 100,000 per individual must be increased to at least 200,000 to provide any fair measure of compensation as recommended in previous Mr. Proposals. Mr. President, uh, we were, your five minutes has been up for a while and I just never stopped a president. All right, well, well I'm sorry. We I just, uh, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, uh, one final thought, just thanking the Navajo Uranium Radiation Victims Committee that have worked tirelessly on that with the senators and the representative, Phil Harris, Tommy Reed, Harry Desidero, Mary uh, Curley, Leslie Begay, and many others, including our very own Navajo Nation Council Delegate, Amber Crotty. Thank you again for the opportunity to testify before the subcommittee. And I'll, I'm open to answering any questions you may have. Thank you. You're and welcome. Thank you, Mr. President. Our next witness is Lily Adams. Ms. Adams is an independent consultant specializing in nuclear weapons issues. She's the founder and coordinator of the Nuclear Voices Project, which builds connection between nuclear policy organizations and nuclear frontline communities and seeks to amplify issues of nuclear justice. She has done consulting work for the Union of Concerned Scientists and its global 
Security Program and is a member of the Board of Directors of the Arms Control Association. Ms. Adams holds a bachelor's degree from the University of California, Berkeley in Society and Environment. Ms. Adams, you are recognized for five minutes. Thank you very much, Chairman Cohen, Chairman Nadler, Ranking Member Johnson, and all committee members for the opportunity to testify today. I would like to thank the many individuals who have supported this testimony, including many members of impacted communities, my colleagues at the Union of Concerned Scientists, and a number of other researchers. The Radiation Exposure Compensation Act is a valuable but limited program that just begins to address the suffering and harm caused by U.S. nuclear weapons testing and uranium mining. Between 1945 and 1963, the U.S. government conducted more than 200 above-ground nuclear weapons tests. 100 of the tests were at the Nevada test site, about 65 miles northwest of Las Vegas. This exposed people near the site and across the United States through inhalation of radioactive debris and ingestion of contaminated foods, especially milk. Starting in the 1940s, the United States also greatly expanded uranium mining and processing for the nuclear weapons program in sites across the Western United States. Workers were exposed to radiation from gas and dust in the mines and processing sites. WECA begins to address the legacy of harm caused by testing and mining by offering a governmental apology and providing one-time compensation of $50,000 to $100,000 to individuals with specific diseases presumed to have been caused by radiation exposure. Compensation is available to some nuclear testing downwinders, to people on site during tests, including veterans, and to some uranium workers. RICO was established in 1990, minimally expanded in 1992, and again in 2000. But it has not been updated in 20 years. And meanwhile, people have been suffering while waiting for compensation. This program is crucial and should be expanded. The U.S. government knew the potential for health risks from radiation exposure, was urged to take precautions, but did not take adequate steps to protect or inform U.S. residents or monitor their health. In the case of nuclear testing, the government often dismissed and suppressed information about contamination and exposure and downplayed the risks of tests to nearby residents, even encouraging people to watch them. Uranium workers were also not told about their deadly working conditions, and the U.S. government generally did not enforce even simple safety measures, such as adequate mine ventilation, even after receiving explicit recommendations to do so, and even after miners began getting sick and dying at alarming rates. Without their knowledge or consent, many thousands of people paid the ultimate price, their health and their lives, to allow the United States to produce nuclear weapons. In 1982, over a 1,000 downwinders sued the U.S. government seeking compensation for these harms. The federal court ruled that the government had indeed been negligent in monitoring off-site exposures and informing people of the risks. However, the ruling was overturned by the U.S. government, which asserted it could not be held liable, which in part led Congress to finally create RICA. But RICA in its current form has many shortcomings. Most urgently, RICA is set to expire in July of 2022. After that, no claims can be made. This is unjust, both because cancers caused by this radiation exposure can take decades to appear, and because some still do not know they are eligible due to insufficient community outreach and assistance. Additionally, compensation amounts for RICA have remained unchanged over the last 30 years and are minimal, often not even covering the cost of cancer care. RICA does not cover uranium workers after 1971, 
even though the U.S. continued to purchase domestically produced uranium and working conditions continued to gravely threaten worker health. Multiple studies provide strong evidence that the full population of people who are exposed through nuclear testing are not currently covered. As a result, proposals have been put forward to add parts or all of Idaho, Montana, Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, and Guam to the program. In addition, while RECA currently covers people who were on site for nuclear tests, it does not cover the veterans and civilians who cleaned up radioactive material left behind by tests and nuclear accidents. Finally, the list of presumptive diseases and eligible occupations should be reviewed and updated to reflect the latest scientific research. In summary, RECA is currently falling short. These communities who have suffered decades of painful cancers and other illnesses, often devastating whole families, even whole communities, deserve compensation and care from their government. We have an opportunity to help them. While I'm grateful to be able to provide an overview of these issues, I also urge the committee to read the testimonies of these community members who have experienced this issue firsthand. Um, many of their stories are being submitted into the record and it is so important that they are heard. I'd like to end with a quote from Linda Evers who worked in a uranium mill in Grants, New Mexico from 1976 to 1982 and so is currently excluded from RECA. She says, we were told every day that we were working to secure the freedom of every American in this country. And it seems that it is a harsh reality that the country we gave our lives for continues to ignore us now when we need our government to help us. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Adams. Appreciate your life's work and your testimony. Our next witness is Jean Bishop. Ms. Bishop is a member of the Mojave County, Arizona Board of Supervisors where she represents Supervisor District 4. She has held this position since the year 2014. <laughs> Number of other public service positions throughout her career, including as Deputy Sheriff and Sergeant at the Mojave County Sheriff's Office, a commander of the Mojave County Air Search Squadron, and a captain of the Chloride Volunteer Fire Department. Ms. Bishop holds a degree in Applied Science from Mojave Community College, as well as a number of other professional and technical certifications. Ms. Bishop, you're recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and members of the subcommittee, and thank you for the opportunity to provide this testimony this morning. Um, as you noted, my name is Jean Bishop, and I am the Supervisor of District 4, Mojave County Board of Supervisors here in Arizona. My testimony is unique in that my statements are on behalf of the citizens of our county and also individually as both my family and I have been impacted by the nuclear testing conducted at the Nevada Proving Grounds. For years, the Arizona congressional delegation has supported legislation that would uh, amend the uh, RECA to recognize the many Mojave County residents that worked and lived downwind from the nuclear testing sites and were adver adversely affected by the radiation exposure was generated by this uh, ground nuclear weapons testing that occurred outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. In addition, the Board of Supervisors has adopted four different resolutions supporting federal legislation and requesting amendments to be made to the Radiation Exposure Screening and Education Program. With the pending expiration and hopefully renewal of RECA, now would be the perfect time to amend the boundaries of the covered areas and include all of Mojave County, which coincidentally is a neighboring county located to the east of Las Vegas, Nevada. But I wanted to tell you a little bit about my personal story. Uh, which begins when I was just a baby. 
Atomic explosions filled the sky near my family home outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. It was in the early 50s when my family lived downwind from the government nuclear test sites and later moved to Mojave County. Between 1951, which was my birth year, and 1963, the United States government, through the Atomic Energy Commission, detonated hundreds of these nuclear bombs near our home in the Nevada desert. Over and over, my parents were told that the testing was safe as our family stood on the front porch and watched in horror as the sky filled with dust. Well, at the time, we were encouraged to celebrate the advances of our government, and we did. Uh, Unfortunately, we were blind to the fact that radioactive fallout would kill and sicken numerous members of our family. Regrettably, the radioactive fallout not only impacted our family, but families for hundreds of miles surrounding the test site. My immediate family members that were impacted include my oldest sister, Judy. She died of a brain cancer in 1968. Uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013, and during my treatment a year later, my sister was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2014. And then my husband was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and that was in 1998. At last count, 32 people of my husband's family have died from various types of cancer. Currently, his younger sister, who was mentioned earlier by Congressman Staten, uh, Danielle Stevens, is in her final days fighting stage four colon cancer. My husband worked on the uh, family cattle ranch during the testing period, and they all watched the clouds move from the test site downwind across the sparsely populated areas as they would ride their horses up on the mountaintops to watch. Everyone on the ranch was uh, given radiation detectors by the government to wear on their clothes while they were out doing their cowboy duties, and this was to me measure radioactivity. So the government knew uh, that there was radioactivity being uh, spread downwind, and uh, the cowboys and the ranchers thought they were being patriotic and helping their country. Unfortunately, they were never provided the results of those measurements. So um, Congress created this RECA Act. It's a program that would provide partial restitution to individuals who developed illnesses after this radiation exposure. I'm certain that the committee members are aware that the act still doesn't include part of Clark County immediately adjacent to the testing site and the southern part of Mojave County, which is directly downwind, even though the cancer rates here are much higher. RECA has included counties that are further east and southeast to both Mojave and Clark counties. So you'll see behind me is, uh, is a map that kind of points out the areas that, that covers and I see that I'm running out of town out of time so my question to the committee is is how could this radiation fallout be so precise to miss portions of Clark County and Mojave County yet previous determinations found that counties located further east were more substantially impacted by the nuclear testing so Mr. Chairman and subcommittee members I respectfully request that you extend RECA and expand the coverage area to include Clark County and Mojave County Thank you for your time, and I yield. Thank you, Supervisor Bishop. Our next witness is Scott Simondero. He is an analyst in disability policy with the Congressional Research Service, a position he's held since 2005. He's testified on at least five prior occasions before various congressional committees, including a 2014 field hearing entitled The Forgotten Down Winders Amending the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act to Remedy and Injustice. Mr. Simondero? 
received his PhD and MA in political science from Michigan State University and his BA from the University of Maryland College Park. You are now recognized for five minutes, sir. Thank you, uh, <clears throat> Chairman Cohen, Vice Chair Ross, Ranking Members Jordan and Johnson, and members of the subcommittee. My name is Scott Simonera, and I'm an analyst at the Congressional Research Service. Thank you for inviting CRS to testify at today's hearing on the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act or RECA and possible expansions of RECA eligibility. A longer statement has been submitted for the record. Since its enactment in 1990, RECA has paid out nearly $2.5 billion in benefits on more than 37,000 claims filed by and on behalf of on-site participants downwinders and uranium workers currently covered by the act. Pursuant to the 2000 RECA amendments, the RECA program is scheduled to sunset on July 10th, 2022. And absent congressional action to reauthorize the program, no new claims for benefits will be accepted by the Department of Justice after that date. The FY 2021 William M. Mack Thornberry National Defense Authorization Act included a provision expressing the sense of Congress that the RECA program should continue beyond its 2022 sunset date. On July 16, 1945, the United States detonated the first atomic bomb at the Trinity test site near, near Alamogordo, New Mexico, ushering in an era of extensive development and testing of atomic weapons that would last until 1992. During this period, the United States conducted 1,054 atomic weapons tests, including 100 atmospheric tests at the Nevada test site. The largest atomic weapons tests were conducted at various locations in the Pacific Ocean region, including Bikini Atoll and Inuitak Atoll in the Marshall Islands. Attempts to use the courts to recover damages from atomic weapons testing from the federal government and its contractors were unsuccessful due to the sovereign immunity of the United States and congressional action to immunize contractors. The first legislation to provide benefits to Americans affected by atomic weapons testing was introduced in 1979, and these efforts culminated in 1990 with the passage of the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. RECA pays benefits to on-site participants and downwinders with cancer specified in the act. On-site participants are persons who physically participated in an atmospheric weapons test or who engaged in certain cleanup and decontamination work after a test. On-site participants are eligible for one-time payments of $75,000. Downwinders are persons who lived in designated areas in Arizona, Nevada, and Utah during atmosphere testing at the Nevada test site. Downwinders are eligible for one-time payments of $50,000. RECA also pays $100,000 to uranium miller, miners, millers, and ore transporters with specified diseases linked to work performed before 1972. Each on-site participant, downwinder, or uranium worker is eligible for one benefit, which may be paid to them directly or to their, to their survivors after their deaths. As RECA nears its 2022 sunset date, there are several areas of possible eligibility expansion that may be considered by Congress and that have been the subject of legislation in the 116th and 117th Congresses. An expansion of eligibility for on-site participants could include eligibility for the approximately 8,000 service members and civilians who participated in the cleanup of Inuitak Atoll between 1977 and 1980. The geographic eligibility for area for downwinders 
related to the Nevada tests could be expanded to include areas such as the southern portions of Clark County, Nevada and Mojave County, Arizona that are not currently part of the downwinder area. And new downwinder areas could be created in New Mexico and Guam for persons affected by the Trinity test and tests in the Pacific. The eligibility of uranium workers could be expanded to cover work performed after 1971 when the federal government's purchasing of uranium for the atomic weapons program ended and uranium mining and processing was largely conducted for commercial customers. More detail on each of these expansion proposals, including possible opposition to these proposals based on a congressionally mandated report by the National Research Council and the legislative intent of the RECA legislation is covered in more detail in my written testimony. This concludes my testimony. I would be happy to answer any questions from the subcommittee. Thank you for your faithful federal employment and your testimony today. Our final witness is Tina Cordova. In 2005, she co-founded the Tolerosa Basin Downwinders Consortium. The consortium's mission is to bring attention to the negative health effects suffered by the victims of the first nuclear blast on Earth that took place at the Trinity site in South Central New Mexico and to pass amendments to the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act to bring health care coverage and compensation to the people of New Mexico who have suffered with the health effects of overexposure to radiation since 1945. She's a cancer survivor, having been diagnosed with a thyroid cancer when she was 39 years of age. Ms. Cordova holds a Master of Science and a Bachelor of Science degrees from New Mexico Highlands University. She majored in biology and minored in chemistry. Ms. Cordova, you're recognized for five minutes. Good afternoon, Chairman Cohen, Ranking Members Jordan and Johnson, Senator Lujan, members of the subcommittee, and Representative Stanton. It's an honor and a privilege to provide this testimony on behalf of the many people I represent, not only in New Mexico, but across the United States and the Pacific Islands, like my sisters and brothers in Idaho and Guam. Thank you for inviting me to participate. I want to especially acknowledge our champion, Senator Lujan. I firmly believe this hearing is a result of your dogged persistence and dedication to this issue. You told us that you would stand with us and you have lived up to your words, sir, and we honor you. My name is Tina Cordova. I'm a native New Mexican, a downwinder, and a cancer survivor. I'm also a community organizer and the co-founder of the Tularosa Basin Downwinders Consortium, or TBDC for short. We've been working for 16 years to bring attention to the negative health effects suffered by the people of New Mexico as a result of their overexposure to radiation from the first atomic bomb test that took place at the Trinity site in New Mexico on July 16, 1945. The Trinity test was the culmination of the top secret Manhattan Project. Most people know the history of the project and the test, but few, few people know anything of the ensuing destruction of human health that took place after the test. It is our hope that through this testimony and the written testimony already submitted, each, each of you will become more informed of the toll this took on the American citizens that lived in close proximity to the test site. Our ultimate goal is for the US Congress to acknowledge the sacrifice and suffering of their fellow Americans and extend healthcare coverage and compensation to the people of New Mexico and other downwinders through amendments to the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. The US government has always described the area around the Trinity site as remote and uninhabited. But we know from census data that there were an estimated 40,000 men, women, and children living in a, 
50 mile radius to the test site. There were ranching families that lived as close as 12 miles. The bomb at Trinity had some unique qualities that produced significant fallout. It was the only bomb ever tested on a platform 100 feet off the ground and it was highly inefficient. A full 10 pounds of plutonium with a half-life of 24,000 years went up in a fireball that exceeded the atmosphere and penetrated the stratosphere. For days, a radioactive ash fell from the sky and settled on everything. The soil, in the water, in the air, on the plants, and on the skin of every living thing. It was a public health disaster of grand proportions. People also lived off the land. They had no running water and they used cisterns to collect rainwater for drinking, cooking, etc. They depended on the earth, the soil, the water to produce all the food they ate. They had gardens and orchards and they raised animals for food. We were never warned before or after the test about the dangers of the bomb. It is patently false that those in charge of the test didn't know the people living in the small communities around the test site would be harmed. They did, but they chose secrecy and then denial over the well-being of American citizens, and it cost those citizens their lives, their futures, and their economic security. Most people affected were Hispanos, indigenous people of color, including those living on the Mescalero Apache Reservation, 40 miles east of the test site. The most difficult truth we must all face is the fact we had casualties from the Trinity test, and they were our babies. There was a sharp rise in infant mortality after the Trinity test. Babies in New Mexico were dying at an alarming rate. When we were losing our babies and it was reported to the government, we were refused assistance. This is unconscionable and actually a total outrage. The test was the beginning of the end for so many people. People like my own father, who was a four-year-old child living in Tularosa, a village about 40 miles south of the Trinity site. As a result of his overexposure, he paid the ultimate price for simply being a child raised in a downwind community. My father, Anastasio Cordova, died after suffering for more than eight years with three different cancers for which he had no risk factors. He didn't smoke, drink, use chewing tobacco, or have any viruses. Yet he developed two distinctly different rare oral cancers along with prostate cancer. My father was a strong man in mind and body. He grew up that way, always living in the shadow of his own father who was killed in Germany during World War II. As a result of my father's first cancer, he had to have part of his tongue removed at the base of his throat. He had a feeding tube for over 18 months because he couldn't swallow. My father who had the most amazing voice couldn't sing anymore or whistle, which is what he did as he went about his days. He recovered only to develop prostate cancer, and then after eight years, another cancerous lesion on the front of his tongue. We couldn't believe it after all he had been through. My father fought the good fight, but he lost his battle to cancer. I will never forget the day he told me he was ready to die. He couldn't speak anymore, and he mouthed the words. I was with my dad that March evening when he took his last breath. It forever changed me. I am not the same person. I often weep as I think about it. As I deliver this testimony, I am currently assisting my dad's older sister, who's 81 years old, prepare for breast cancer surgery and follow-up treatment. Cancer and the horrific treatment associated with it is well known to her. Unfortunately, she lost her husband and her brother, my dad, within a few months of each other to cancer. There is no doubt my father and his sister were overexposed to high levels of radiation from the Trinity test. 
It also damaged and altered their DNA. Those genetics were passed on to me, and it may be why I developed thyroid cancer when I was 39. Or it may be because I and all the people of New Mexico were exposed to radiation as a result of the testing that took place at the Nevada test site, well-documented through the summer of 1962. Living in rural New Mexico, we can never get treatment at home because there are no medical facilities in the small towns where we live. New Mexico has the highest per capita use of Medicaid to access, to access health care coverage of any state in the United States. We know, know from surveying downwinders that many of them use Medicaid. Ms. Ms. Cordova, Ms. Cordova your, your time is way over. I'm, and, and I'm going to ask you some can questions. I just close? Can I just close, sir? The late great Congressman John Lewis, a treasured colleague of yours, once said, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. We totally agree with Congressman Lewis. We firmly believe there is a moral and ethical imperative to right this wrong. We believe that after carrying this burden for over 75 years, we should be granted the same treatment as other downwinders received through RICA. There is a path to healing for us and for all the downwinders left out. It starts with the recognition of our service and our sacrifice to our great nation and is complete only when we are afforded the exact same care and coverage as other downwinders. Not one dime more, not one dime less. Thank you, Thank sir. you, Ms. Cordova. Thank you. We will now proceed under the five minute rule with questions. And I'll begin by recognizing myself for five minutes. Ms. Cordova, it is surprising to me that even though New Mexico was the birthplace of the atomic bomb and the first nuclear weapons test occurred there, New Mexico went down winners are currently ineligible for compensation under RICA, despite what seems like the obvious connection between the government's nuclear tests and exposure to radiation. How has your community been impacted by the government's nuclear activities and how is this similar to the circumstances of those already eligible for RICA? Well, sir, the thing that has to be first recognized is that it was the first test ever conducted. And because of that, there were a lot of unknowns. Um, but the thing that they did know is that people would be affected and they did nothing to actually uh, remove us or relocate us during the test procedure. Um, we've been highly overexposed Exposure to radiation is a factor of distance and time, and we had people living as close as 12 miles to the test site, 20 miles, 25 miles, 30 miles, and so our exposure was very, very high. We don't have medical facilities in all those little towns, so people have to leave from where they live to get taken care of. And just like I said, we have the highest use of Medicaid of any state in the union, 47% of the People in New Mexico use Medicaid to access health care. I know because we've surveyed downwinders in many of those communities that people utilize Medicaid to access health care coverage. And I know that the uranium miners do as well. And so I guess my answer to your question is we have suffered greatly. We have high incidence of cancer and other diseases associated with radiation exposure. And we oftentimes get get diagnosed much later in the disease process because we don't have access to health care coverage. And what that means is our prognosis is reduced. The other thing I want to point out that we brought up early on during the pandemic is that when you're a downwinder or a uranium miner and you've been exposed and you have underlying conditions, you don't fare very well inside of, of, of a pandemic like what we've been experiencing. Uh, President Nez mentioned earlier the deaths on the Navajo Reservation and the number of uranium miners that have died. 
I know it's because of their underlying conditions. I know it's because their immune systems are compromised. I know it's because they have all sorts of, of underlying problems. And so we don't fare very well also inside of the pandemic. I hope that answers the question that you asked. Thank you, Ms. Cordova. And President Nez, Navajo and other Native American communities have been particularly impacted in various ways by the government's nuclear activities, whether directly or indirectly, including with respect to nuclear testing and uranium mining. How has the uranium mining industry, which is fostered by the U.S. government, impacted not only individuals who work in the uranium industry, but also their communities? And do you think, there, as there was a large number of, of uh, Native American communities affected by these last, that there was discrimination and basically uh, racial uh, uh, neglect uh, inequities as a, as a cause for, for RECA not extending to so many people in the Navajo Nation? Uh, thank you for the question, Chairman and uh, members of the committee. Let me just piggyback off of the first question with Ms. Cordova. Navajos uh, and many Indian tribes throughout the country are downwinders in two ways. Navajo, the blasts, the testing, downwind. You know, we get a lot of uh, wind in the southwest, as you know. The other is the open uranium mines that are all scattered throughout our nation. The winds pick up the radiation and takes it eastbound, the direction of the wind. So it doesn't just hit Navajos, it also it hits non-Navajo people along the way. And, you know, with the, I, I believe that now is the time, Chairman, to change some, including RECA, but also some of the regulations and the policies that oversee tribal nations. In other words, there's just so much bureaucracy. And I will share with you and the committee a white paper that the Navajo Nation has developed. We learned some items during the uh, CARES Act distribution of those barriers to improve the quality of life for our Navajo people. And one of those is building healthcare facilities. Did you know, Chairman and members of the committee, there's only one, and it's a small facility, one uh, cancer treatment facility in all of Indian country in Tuba City, Arizona, the Navajo Nation. And I just wanted to end uh, my uh, comments with that. And I think there's gonna be an opportunity here for more economic and community development, especially with the, and I appreciate the committee and uh, the Congress for approving the American Recovery, um, American Rescue Plan Act, and also the discussion about infrastructure, because we need infrastructure here on Navajo. So thank you, Chairman, members of the committee. Let me do ask, you didn't answer the question, and maybe you didn't want to answer the question, and maybe it's just a foolish question, but do, do you think, is, is there any racism concerning Native Americans? There's been neglect for hundreds of years, and there's been all kind of, I mean, we took your land. Uh, that was where we started. It's a bad place to start. But uh, do you think that was part of why this hasn't been as fair as it should be? Well, uh, look at it this way, uh, chairman and members of the committee. In the most powerful country in the world, 30 to 40% of our Navajo people don't have running water. So there's a problem here in this country. And I appreciate the national media attention to educate 
uh, the U.S. citizenry and also to educate uh, members of Congress. And so, yeah, there is some racism, if you want to call it that, uh, some inequalities based uh, toward people of color. And of course, I think more so because I see it every day, more so here in Indian country. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. I can see why you're Mr. President. Uh, <laughs> I've taken up my five minutes. Mr. Johnson, do you, would you like to, are you available for questioning? I, I am, Mr. Chairman. You're recognized for five minutes, sir. Thank you. I uh, had a couple of questions for Mr. Uh, Semendera, but before I do that, I, I, I just wanted to reset the table. There's been a lot of facts and figures that have been shared here in the last um, hour or so. So, uh, Mr. Semendera, just at the outset, can you briefly describe just for us to reset the three main groups that are eligible for compensation under RICA? Uh, certainly, Congressman. Um, the three main groups are on-site participants. These are people who were physically present at one of the atmospheric tests. It could have been at, at Trinity, New Mexico, at Nevada test site, or at one of the locations in the Pacific. They were on-site during the test, or they were on-site in the six months after the test performing cleanup work or performing decontamination work on equipment or in some in the Pacific on the naval ships that were involved. So that's on-site participants, that's $75,000 one-time payment. Downwinders are people who lived in the designated areas adjacent to or near the Nevada test site during periods of atmospheric testing, either for one or two years in the 1950s or for the entire duration of testing in the summer of 1962. The downwinders are eligible for $50,000. And the final category are uranium miners, millers, and ore transporters who worked in, uh, before 1972 and who have specified diseases. The uranium workers are eligible for $100,000. In addition, there is a separate law called EOPA, the Energy Employees Occupational Illness Compensation Program Act that is administered by the Department of Labor. Under EOKPA, the uranium workers, only the uranium workers, are eligible for additional benefits and medical benefits. But those are not provided by RICA. Those are provided through EOKPA. So those are your three categories and an overview of the benefits available. Very good. So you mentioned the uranium workers now. Let me ask about the other category, the on-site uh, weapons test participants. Are there other federal agencies that that um, that they're eligible to receive benefits from? Or other federal laws? If if they are if they participate in the test while serving in the military, they are eligible perhaps for benefits from the Department of Veterans Affairs under the Radiation Exposed Veterans Compensation Act, or REVCA. And there is an offset so that they cannot receive the full amount of both RICA and veterans benefits. There is a, an offset there. Um, but generally, no, for on-site participants, uh, the, the only federal compensation would be through RICA. That other law that I mentioned, EOPA, while it does cover some of the same areas, for example, the Nevada test site is also an EOPA site, that is for those involved in the development, not the testing. So the actual building, manufacturing of the weapons. 
And is an Neopa recipient uranium workers? Is that an offset also with Rika? How do they interact? No, it's not an offset. Uh, quite frankly, it's it's an addition. They receive okay. an additional benefit okay. um, under Neopa, and they receive health benefits for the covered health condition. It's important to understand that Rika is a one-time cash payment, no health care benefits. EOPA health care benefits extended to the uranium workers. Okay, and I'm out of time, I think, or real close to it. Real quick question. Do you have a rough... You've got a minute to go. You've got a minute. Thank you. Do you have a rough estimate of the number of individuals who are eligible for RECA compensation who haven't yet received it? I don't have that information. I think that is a factor of outreach efforts. Remember, many of the claimants now, and certainly the Department of Justice would be the best source of this data. We're now dealing with, in many cases, claimants who are children or even grandchildren of downwinders, on-site participants, or uranium workers. And many of them may live outside of the Southwest at this point. They may not have even heard of this program, or they may have only just heard of it. There is a process by which you have to apply gathering evidence, which can take time. But an estimate of how many are are sort of still out there that haven't been reached, I think that would best come from the Department of Justice as the program administrator. But is it fair to say, and I know I'm near out of time now, but is it fair to say that some of the ailments and uh, diseases that come from this would be passed through the bloodstream? In other words, they're genetic, so that even a grandchild might have a valid claim, or is that a disputed fact? Well, that is, that certainly second generation or even third generation uh, factors, there's certainly been scientific research on that. But that is not part of RECA eligibility okay. at all. A yes. grandchild is only applying on behalf of the grandparent. Thank you for the clarification. I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Ms. Rice, the, Ms. Ross, excuse me, the vice chairman of the committee is recognized for five minutes. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. And thank you so much to our colleagues for bringing this important issue to our attention and to the chairman for holding the hearing. Um, my question doesn't necessarily go to the nitty gritty of what, who is eligible right now, but it goes to the long-term lasting effects of this program and, um, and the health consequences. And so first, um, Ms. Cordova, um, I wanted to know, how have the adverse health effects um, in your caused by the testing created further economic problems um, in your area? Thank you very much, Congressman Ross, for the question. Um, I mentioned earlier that we don't have health care facilities in the small towns where we live, and New Mexico is very rural. And because of that, we don't get diagnosed or treated in the places where we live. What that means is we have to travel great distances for our care, sometimes out of state. Families have told me that they spend everything that they have to take care of their health. And honestly, I've had people tell me, I maxed out my credit cards, I took out my retirement, I have no assets left. My children are sending me credit cards so I can uh, buy gas to get to El Paso for treatment. And most days I wish I would just die so I'm not a burden to my family any longer. We don't have the opportunity to accumulate any kind of generational wealth. 
And as I said before, 47% of the people in New Mexico depend on Medicaid to access healthcare coverage. A great number of them are downwinders. We've, co we've collected over a thousand health surveys from people so that we can document these stories since our government's never done that. And it's amazing how many of them rely on Medicaid. They have no options. They've exhausted their options. And so if you have nothing to pass on, we get locked into a cycle of poverty that just continues. And um, this compensation would help in, in many ways. We, we are especially in favor of extending healthcare coverage because we think that's more important even than the, the one-time payout. But imagine if you have multiple members of one family sick at the same time, and it happens all the time with us, uh, this becomes an enormous financial burden. And it's been a financial burden to families, to communities, and to our state, quite honestly. Okay. Um, thank you very much. Does anybody else want to address this issue from the perspective of either their tribe or their area? The, the ongoing economic strife caused by the health effects? If not, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Thank you, Ms. Ross. Uh, <coughs> is there anybody on the Republican side seeking, seeking time? If not, who is, uh, Mr. Hank Johnson, I think is recognized for five minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you for holding this uh, very important hearing. The birth of this nation began with the ideal that all people were endowed with certain inalienable rights, those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But since then, we've fallen short of this promise more times than I care to uh, admit. Some of us, including indigenous people were not considered to be people at all. Similarly, many people who live or lived in areas adversely impacted by our country's testing of nuclear weapons have been treated less than humanely and have suffered great sickness and death due to their, <coughs> excuse me, unknowing exposure to radiation caused by the testing of nuclear weapons by our government. And nuclear weapons have been uh, an important component of U.S. national security ever since they were developed uh, back uh, during the uh, World War II. And members of certain areas, people who, residents of certain areas have borne the brunt of the U.S. reliance on nuclear weapons because those nuclear weapons had to be tested and they were in the areas where uh, the radiation impacted uh, their lives, uh, the covered areas, if you will. Uh, and, uh, and so our capacity as Americans to hold ourselves accountable and reflect is what allows us to make progress. And the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act was a step towards accountability. It was an acknowledgement that we as a country had fallen short and we took actions to help those who've been harmed, uh, those who were impacted adversely, no fault of their own and unwittingly and unknowingly uh, to nuclear fallout, radiation uh, 
has hurt and killed them, sickened and killed them. Um, Ms. Adams, um, as far as downwinders are concerned under the original RICA legislation, are there any people in uh, your community who were left out? And if so, why? As being eligible for uh, compensation under RICA. Thank you very much for the question. Um, and I can try to give an overview of some of the communities that have been left out um, who would fall under the downwinder category. Um, so first of all, there are counties, um, as Ms. Bishop said earlier, uh, in uh, Arizona and Nevada uh, that are very close to the test site that are not currently included. Um, and then other studies have shown since RICO was created, uh, notably by the national uh, study by the National Cancer Institute, um, that showed that uh, exposure levels uh, in counties far beyond the test site and states, not just those closest to the test site, but as far as places like Idaho and Montana, um, received as high or even higher levels of radiation exposure. Uh, so there have been proposals as well to include those kinds of areas um, that were not originally recognized to have received that kind of fallout. Um, some of the other communities that have been mentioned in terms of downwinder eligibility areas um, include Guam, uh, which uh, has been noted to be exposed from uh, radiation from the Pacific, uh, testing in the Pacific Islands. Um, and of course, as Ms. Cordova has stated in New Mexico, uh, which uh, they have said has been exposed both from the Trinity test and from testing at the Nevada test site. Um, so how, I think that many, covers how, all of the... How, oh, sorry, excuse go ahead. me, Vanna interrupting how many people would be covered uh, if the uh, coverage area were expanded? I don't have that information offhand. That's a hard number to pinpoint. Um, I would say, uh, and, and I will say all of those are, you know, separate proposals and they'd all need to be addressed to figure out just what the different populations would be. Um, but I don't have that information offhand. I can try to follow up though and get that information to your office. Would you say it'd be 10,000 or less than 10,000? It's, it's very hard to pinpoint. I mean, so far the number of downwinders who have applied is around 25,000 um, in the states that are there, but it would be, it's very, I'm sorry, I can't provide a more um, precise number, but it would be very hard to pinpoint exactly. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. And I, I heard a figure, Mr. Chairman, if I could, I heard the figure $2.5 billion in claims have been paid out thus far to 37,000 claimants. $2.5 billion. The cost of maintaining our nuclear weapons over the next 10 years will be $494 billion, almost $50 billion a year. So $50 billion a year to take care of our national of our nuclear weapons and over the time that this act has been in place we've spent 2.5 billion dollars to compensate uh, folks who've been adversely impacted by radiation that's just a pittance and it's uh and it's pathetic that our values are more towards protecting and taking care of our weapons than we are with taking care of the people who were adversely impacted by the testing of those weapons. And with that, I'll yield back. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You're welcome, Mr. Johnson. 
And Miss Fishback, I owe you an apology. I didn't realize you, you were there. And if I would have, I would have recognized you then. But there's there's a legal term, uh, nook, nook pro tunk. So now for them, you're recognized for five minutes. <laughs> well, and Mr. Chair, thank you. If you hadn't pointed it out, I wouldn't have even realized you skipped me. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but um, I, I don't have any questions at this time, so I yield back. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Beat that one. Thank you. Uh, who's next? Uh, I believe Miss Sheila Jackson Lee, are you here? Miss Lee Jackson Lee is recognized for five minutes. Uh, thank you so very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, let me thank all the witnesses as well uh, that have been here. Uh, and uh, let me begin uh, point blank as I listen to Mr. Johnson's question, uh, Mr. Johnson from Louisiana. I'm glad that he had uh, the enunciation of the various uh, individuals that were um, eligible for compensation, and it seems to be rather narrow. Um, President Nez, if I'm pronouncing your name correctly, um, tell me what it means in your community to have uh, eligibility limited to on-site participants, uh, down winders uh, in certain designated areas in certain years, uh, uranium miners and millers, and then uh, opportunities for compensation from the Department of Labor. But what does it mean to your community? What do we need to do in terms of modernizing the RECA response? Well, thank you, Chairman, and thank you, Representative Lee and committee members. Uh, that is an excellent question. You know, our recommendations for updating RECA that I mentioned during the onset in my initial testimony indicates that there needs to be some changes. Here on the Navajo Nation, we don't have the best, well, I guess in any rural community throughout uh, the United States, do not have the best internet connection. And also here on the Navajo Nation, we don't have street address like others have throughout the country. People get their mail from the PO boxes and sometimes multi-generational people utilize one box. So it's very difficult to have uh, our um, Navajo uh, uranium workers or downwinders, those that are wanting compensation to apply for you know, this uh, just compensation, this fair compensation. And so those are the reasons why we're asking for some changes to the law to update it. And I wanted to go real quick, uh, Representative. If, if you Chair. would, Mr. Nez, I have uh, other questions. Okay. Can you hear me? Uh, I'm sorry, if go you ahead. Would, if you summarize, I'd appreciate it. I want to hear your answer. Right, right. And, you know, here on the Navajo Nation, we had the size of, equivalent to the size of West Virginia, 27,000 square miles. We only have a little bit over uh, 10 healthcare facilities. And a lot of those healthcare facilities do not have specialization for cancer treatment. And just as Ms. Cordova said, they have to go to Albuquerque, they have to go to Phoenix, and that takes a lot wear and tear on a vehicle, also getting uh, gas, getting and spending time to get away from their family Thank sometimes you. they have to get admitted and um you know we, we have to deal with that in, in rural communities throughout the country thank you well let me 
thank you. Let me thank you. And I thank your Congressman Stanton for this focus on the downwinders. Let me quickly go to Ms. Cadover and uh, Ms. Adams and anyone else that wants to uh, provide in this period of time that I have. So if you all would just follow back to back. I happen to be supportive of a review of RECA for the expanded downwinders in Arizona and New Mexico. It reaffirms that there should be compensation, reparations, if you will, uh, to restore people's lives who have been ignored, violated, uh, and seen death in their life. And so I would ask uh, your response directly as to what would be an improvement in RECA. And Ms. Cordova, sorry for the loss of your dad and the experience that you had. It's uh, all of us uh, know how uh, our moms and dads are, no matter what age we happen to be. And so if you give us what an expansion or improvement would be like in your mind, and the same thing with uh, Ms. Adams, if you would give a sense of the improvement, uh, and Ms. Bishop. Ms. Cadover, would you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Representative Lee. The, the improvements that we think need to be made without a doubt for the New Mexico downwinders specifically is that we have to have a qualification period that's meaningful. It has to begin in 1945 and extend through the summer of 1962 because we were downwind of the Trinity site in 45. And then we were continuously exposed to radiation from the Nevada test site through the summer of 1962. That qualification period has to be substantial and significant or it will not it will not benefit people here. We have to prove that we lived here during that time frame, and 75 years later, it's almost an impossibility. Consideration has to be given to that. For 31 years, we've been left out. Consideration has to be given to that. The second thing is we need, we need to increase the one-time payment. $50,000 is woefully mm. inadequate. Doesn't even co cover one year of co-payments, uh, the cost of, of, of treatment, gas, lodging, food, time away from your family, et cetera. And last, we need to consider adding health care coverage. The health care coverage is the most important component to this. If people are using Medicaid, it makes no sense. We should put them on a program like the, the OICPA program that was referenced before and give downwinders and uranium miners health care coverage just at, equal. equal. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Ms. Cordova. Thank you, Congressman Jackson Lee. Uh, Next, we recognize Congressman Burgess Owens of Utah. I need to see. Okay. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. Look, do you see me? Okay. Thank you, Chair Coleman and Ranking Member Johnson, for holding these hearings today. I also want to thank um, uh, President Dinez of the Navajo Nation and other witnesses for your participation. Radiation exposure caused by the United States Atomic Weapon Development Program is still a very important issue here in Utah. There are thousands of so-called downwinders whose lives are lost or changed forever. Several years ago, J. Willard Marriott Library at the University of Utah created a Downwinders of Utah archive where they compiled histories of hundreds of Utahns who were affected by our government's atomic radiation testing. Sarah Penny is one of those downwinders who was born in Cedar City, Utah in 1953. The same year, the Dirty Harry bomb was tested at a nearby Nevada test site. Listen to Sarah's description of growing up in Cedar City. Knew, we knew we could die any day from about fifth grade. Our piano teacher's daughter, Sybil Johnson, died of leukemia. A steady stream of deaths followed. My grandfather, Paul Hoppen, had been out herding cattle near Enterprise, Utah, when Dirty Harry went off. He got leukemia and died. My aunt, Mary Nelson, died of breast cancer. 
My cousin, Jeff Happen, had a bone marrow transplant from his brother and later died. A high school classmate died from a brain tumor. Cousin got uh, breast cancer and two other cousins' daughters. They have survived so far thanks to better treatments. Father got an upper intestinal cancer, which killed him. My mother had continuing uh, health problems, including thyroid problems, which may have been caused by the fallout. Countless neighbors and friends have died from cancer, end quote. They have responsibility for Sarah and every single downwinder victim of radiation exposure and their families to reauthorize RICA, the Radiation Exposure, Exposure Compensation Act. I hope we can work together in a bipartisan, fair, responsible manner to right the wrongs that, that destroy so many lives and families in Utah and other Western states. Problem <coughs> caused by the federal government and one that we must work to solve. We cannot walk away from RICA. Uh, I have a question for um, President Ness. As part of the, the Navajo uh, nations located in southern Utah, speak of the outstanding and, and probably still unresolved cases of radiation exposure of the Navajo people in the Utah specifically. I'm sorry, uh, Representative Owens, uh, Chairman, I, I didn't catch that last part of your question. My apologies. Oh, no problem. Uh, part, of, part of the Navajo Nation is located in southern Utah. Yes. Can you speak to outstanding causes of radiation exposure to Navajo people, Utah specifically? Right. You know, we have uh, many uranium mines there in the southern part of Utah within the Navajo Nation that have been uh, cleaned, cleaned up. And just for one uranium mine to be cleaned up, it's into the tens of millions of dollars. If there are 500 plus uranium mines, you know, do the math, we're talking about into the billions. And so a lot of the folks worked in these mines in that area. You got Mexican hat there, Halchita, who has a uh, uranium storage site. You got one uranium mine in uh, Gouldings in, in Monument Valley that just got uh, cleaned up. And so uh, the question about the contributions that Native, Native Americans, Navajos have had to this country in World War II, I really, uh, Representative Owens, I have to remind our folks that the Navajo Nation in two ways contributed to helping win the war. One is the uranium that was extracted from our lands, and today we're still getting that cleaned up. The compensation needing to happen to those folks living near uh, and around those sites. The other is our language. We all know about the Navajo Code Talkers, Native Americans, high percentage of any group to serve in the military. And so what we're saying today, too, as well as to remind our lawmakers, our friends in Washington, D.C., about that treaty relationship and that trust uh, obligation. Thank you, Representative Owens. Thank you. And Chairman. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Muscadova, if Congress extends RECA by 20 years, do you anticipate that would be sufficient time to identify and compensate the remaining victims? Thank you very much for the question, Representative Burgess. And yes, I absolutely do think that that would be an adequate time. We, we have already been surveying our people. We're already documenting who they are and where they are. And we have worked extensively in communities. We've received grant money that we utilize towards identifying downwinders in our communities. And we will work very hard to make sure that 20 years is adequate time. I, I wanna say to you that 
our hearts go out to the people of Utah who were actually targeted as part of the testing. The winds blew in that direction and took that fallout to Utah. Thank you, sir, for your interest in this issue. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, Chairman, I'm, I'm having trouble seeing the clock. How much time do I have? Do I have another time uh, for one more question? Well, we're at overtime, but I'll give you overtime. Okay. <laughs> I, I relate to that one. Thank you so much. Um, uh, this is this is uh, for, for Mr. Seth Samandera. If, if Congress fails to reorganize, uh, reauthorize RECA, uh, are, there, are there victims of, of the radiation exposure who will not be compensated? Most likely, yes. Um, it, it, the deadline will be uh, 2022, and that will be it. Anyone who does not have their application in by that date will have no recourse for compensation. Thank you. I, I yield back my time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Representative Owens. And thank you to all of our witnesses. Uh, we've had a great panel and we've learned a lot about this issue and the importance it is to the people who served America and who America has not been serving. Uh, Senator Lujan uh, and then earlier Senator Crapo and Senator Hatch and, and Congressman uh, Stanton have all been stalwart leaders and I thank them for their efforts here. I wanna thank all of our witnesses for appearing today. Without objection, all members will have five legislative days to submit additional written questions for the witnesses or additional materials for the records. With that, the hearing is hereby closed. Adjourned.